All right. So the name of the podcast is Application to Admission. I want it to be HBC versus PWIs, but you know, you think that's a little bit too too aggressive. And I, you know, I don't want to be aggressive. I want to make sure that I I treat your your your, your brother, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right. You know, I don't come off too too militant. Even though Martin was a real militant man, he has some he has some really positive stances on a lot of things that people you know, have diluted his message through this holiday and all that, but that's a whole nother uh, episode. Welcome back to the Application to Admission podcast. I am Shereem Herndon Brown, back here with my peoples, Tim V.L. Fields. And we are so excited to be back with you guys. It's been a minute, but hopefully you've been listening to all our other episodes and making sure that you are caught up with all the information that you need about college admissions and higher education. Tim, how are you feeling today, my dude? Uh, you know, I'm I'm feeling good, but you know, today is the first day of reading. So uh, we started reading applications. It's going to be going on for the next three or four months. You know, every day, even weekends, will probably be filled with reading applications at some level. Uh, so I mean, it's exciting, um, as you know, kind of to start this journey. But it is a lot of long days, a lot of long days. But 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 that's what you get for being on the admission side. My application, well, you wasn't crying me a river August through November, October, when you saw me grunting it out with my clients, August, September, October, I was doing the application side. You know, you, you were saying, man, let's get it in. Let's get it in. Now I'm going to tell you, November, let's get it in. You, you can't match my energy with that. I didn't, I didn't say we weren't going to get it in. You asked how I was doing, and I let you know how I was doing. You know, I'm, honesty is the foundation to most relationships. So, Oof. I mean, we, we, we got, we got, we got some, people we, listening. Got people we, we listening. Got, we, got, we got some stuff coming up. We are going to continue to put out podcasts. We're going to continue to put out newsletters, blogs, share information about the Black Family's Guide to College Mission. We're going to continue to do all that, but that doesn't take away that these files are on my neck. Okay, so. fair enough. Actually, you mentioned it. Timothy L. Fields, my man, my dude, my co-author. Tell me a little bit about the Black Family's Got a College Mission and its recent success. It's been now out now for 60 days. You've been grinding. We've been grinding. How are you feeling about this, this the uh, piece of uh, college admissions literature that you've put out into the space? What's going on with that? Very excited about it. Um, you know, we, like you said, it's been 60 days. Uh, we've put it out in every corner of the world that we could. Uh, we want you all to continue to share on your social media networks, uh, platforms about the book. Um, you know, we you know got an email today from Johns Hopkins University Press. We've sold over 4,000 books, and they expected that we would only sell 5,000 the life of the book. So 60 days in, we almost succeeded our goal. We couldn't do it without you all. But I think the most important thing is we want to put information out there in the world to help you navigate this process, no matter where you're at how early you're on in the process. And you may have somebody in elementary, middle school, you might have a senior. Uh, there's something for you in this book, um, not only for black parents, but we will continue to say for allies, educators, anybody who wants to support black families and students in the process, there is something uh, for you. So we're very excited about it, but we are only in the first quarter. Uh, yeah. There is a lot more that we have uh, to offer. We want to continue to put the word out. You know, all of, the, all of you that follow us, Obviously, you know about it, but there are a lot of people who don't. So gift it, share it, tell somebody about it. It's a great resource. 
And let me also just throw this out there. You know, we want to make sure we give an information, like you said, it is now November, early November. We want to make sure that families, parents, you're on top of the financial aid deadlines. Uh, the FAFSA came out in October, the college scholarship service, uh, the CSS profile, college scholarship service profile is also now available. These are two of the most fundamental pieces of information that you need to file for financial aid. Please do not be late. Please you know, do not allow your child to apply to college and you not handle what you're supposed to on your side. So again, go to fafsa.gov, F-A-F-S-A.gov, um, CSS profile you can find at thecollegeboard.org. Please, please, please do not delay on making sure that you have the financial aid information that you need. You can also go to our website. Our website is understandthechoices.com. We have resources and um, some of them are regarding the financial aid. So please make sure you check that out. Um, and just just on that, you know, just, you know, for the parents that are out there, uh, we talk a lot about what students need to do. We talk about students need to do well in school. Students need to put together applications. They need to write essays. Maybe they decided to sit for the SAT, ACT. They need to get letters of recommendations. All these things that we put on the student to do. Parents, beyond supporting your child in this process, you need to get these documents in on a timely fashion. Deadlines matter. Uh, so, you know, this is up to you. You know, how much students get is contingent upon you submitting your tax documents. If for any unfortunate reason, maybe you and your partner aren't together. Maybe y'all don't even like one another. We don't need to worry about that. Get the, document, <laughs> get the documents in for the best for your child. You know, the financial aid offices, you know, really don't care about your business. They don't like, ooh, they split up. Ooh, they make this. No, they they don't care. They just want to know. Give them the information. Give them the information so they can help your child. So, you know, it's not about you. It's about supporting your child in this process. And this is what you as parents and guardians have to do. Speaking of which, we have a, the next part of our program today is going to be a special guest. And I can't even tease it out enough because She's going to highlight so much of the current events, so much information, give us so much information about the recent current events regarding uh, college admissions and race conscious admissions. Um, a lot of you have been either reading about it in the news or you're aware of it, you know, regarding certain news outlets, media outlets. But, you know, the um, Supreme Court hearings were this past week, uh, October 31st, and there's a lot of good stuff that you need to know about race conscious admissions and how it might affect you students or you parents as, as your children or applying to college in the next few years. So we have a special guest that we're going to make sure you listen to. And, and believe me, she is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the subject. Tim and I know a little bit. Tim knows more than I do. But our special guest um, is, is really one of the, the preeminent people uh, moving and shaking around this uh, this issue in college admissions of higher education. So please listen up, make this, you know, as much as Tim and I love to joke around a little bit and sprinkle in information every now and then, today's lesson, today's program is really going to educate your mind, give you a lot to think about, and make sure you use it to help your child navigate through the college admissions process. Again, welcome to the Application to Admission podcast, uh, and stay tuned. Listen up. Let's go. Welcome back to the Application to Admission podcast. Today, we have a super duper duper, well, all of our guests are special, honestly, but today is not just a superhero in our profession, but she's also a personal friend. And I don't say that because there's any nepotism or any favoritism going on, but when, you know, great minds think alike, 
I have had the honor and privilege of working with this woman in a variety of capacities. And I know that what she's going to school us on today is going to help us all get a better understanding of some current events that happen in the college admissions process and higher education overall. But Tim, I don't want to give her my friendly kind of uh, intro. <laughs> how would you describe our guest? Uh, how, how would I describe our guest? I would, I would say a um, college admission icon. Icon. A trailblazer. Trailblazer. I said, trailblazer. A leader. Leader. Um, in, in, in the profession and an advocate uh, for all Huge. underrepresented, marginalized groups who seek higher education. And so she's uh, been for a number of years working in many parts of higher education, but has since branched out uh, to follow her passion of advocacy by uh, being one of the founders of Accept. So uh, we are excited to have Marie here. Marie did Bigham. That, did I do, Shereen? Not only did you, do, you forgot one thing though. All right. She introduced okay, us. Okay, okay. She introduced us. I did. New Orleans 2013. Without her saying, Shereen, you got to meet this guy. I could have just looked at you and said, who's that herb over there? I kept it moving. But oh. because she introduced it, yes, I had to throw it in. Because she threw it in. Here we are. Say what you got to say, Tim. I mean, you should thank her. You, 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 should, yeah, you, should, so. you should thank her, Shereen. Your, your, your life has been changed because <laughs> of her introduction. Because, yeah, because she, she took your hand and said, I need you to introduce, I need to, you to meet Timothy Fields. So you're welcome. This is true. The, you, the, yeah, yeah. I, Marie, Tim, thank you both for making my life better. Without any further ado, we have Marie Bingham <laughs> with us. Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, obviously, you are a you are not just a close friend and a, a strong colleague, but you were in the early readers of our book, The Black Family's Guide to College Admission, and and you gave us a lot of great feedback. And you know, without your input, some of the things that we had in there initially might not have been changed. And we actually want to talk to you about one of the biggest points in there which was not the biggest points, but one of the biggest current events things right now um, about affirmative action and the Supreme Court hearings that recently happened. So we're going to let you introduce yourself and your official title, and then we're going to go right into the Supreme Court stuff. Are you ready? Sure, let's do it. Marie, tell the people who you are and what Accept's all about. Hit it. I'm Marie Bigham. I'm the founder and executive director of Accept, but probably more important than that, I am a friend of Shereem and Tim's. Is there more than that that has to be said? No, no, except, that's except stands for Admissions Community Cultivating Equity and Peace Today. We're a nonprofit organization, and our mission is that we create a just and equitable path to post-secondary education, but especially for those who've been historically excluded. Um, we want to make big, giant systemic change. And so to do that, we're currently engaged in a lot of public policy work, which is what I'm going to talk about today regarding affirmative action, um, research to practice partnerships. How do we work with brilliant um, researchers and, and get our story out there and find new pathways. And, and we want to build a sustainable community of professionals to continue this work. So that's really a big picture to accept is. But I've been in the professional ecosystem of college admissions since 1997. I worked for my alma mater in admissions, Washington U in St. Louis, which is how I met Shereen first. Um, I became a college counselor first at Riverdale Country School in New York, where I worked with Shereen, where he was my mentor and guide and North Star in so many ways, and where I first met Tim as well. Um, and then I went to San Diego, then to Dallas, then New Orleans, and then three years ago left working in schools to be able to run this organization full time. So that's what I do. So, so I, I wanted to first thank you uh, for, for being here 
and you know covering uh, this important topic. And so we have a lot of listeners, some of which are in the you know college higher education profession, but many that aren't that are you know parents are you know you know people who just want to kind of know more about college admission. And so can you give us a 101 version of kind of the current case, the implications, just you know what is at stake for those who aren't in the profession? Absolutely. So I want to pull back a little bit and talk about some of the terms that are being used a lot because I think it's actually really important in this. Um, the shorthand for the Supreme Court cases that were heard on Monday is that these are Supreme Court cases about affirmative action. Um, the more accurate term to use is race conscious admissions practices. Here's why. Affirmative action very broadly. It's a set of public policies and practices within the government, within organizations that, that seek to include specific groups that have been historically excluded. And sometimes that is through, um, through government mandate and regulation. Sometimes that's company policy, uh, but it's very broad. So when we say affirmative action, that's not specific to the case that we were talking about. And when people say this truism, which is true, that, that white women benefit the most from affirmative action, that's actually not about college admissions. That's about the broad set of practices that open up the world of business and government and leadership to people who've been historically excluded. So sometimes people use them um, interchangeably. I'm gonna try my hardest to use the correct terminology, which is race conscious admissions practices or holistic admissions. And that's really what's under attack in the Supreme Court right now. Race conscious admission practices or holistic admissions at the core of it what it says is that colleges can take and should take into account a student's full individual story, that students can describe themselves and their life and what is impacted in all ways, including how race and their ethnicity might have impacted that in positive or negative ways. So when we are talking about these specific cases, we're talking about admissions practices to selective colleges that currently under 40 years of wins when it comes to this conversation, the colleges can take a person's whole story into account and race and ethnicity might be a part of that. That's really what we're talking about. So on Monday, the Supreme Court heard two cases on Halloween, which is kind of some, I don't know, there's some irony to that. Um, they heard two cases. There's an organization that's called SFFA, Students for Fair Admissions. And they sued both Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill, saying that the practices that those two institutions were putting into place violated what the Supreme Court has said is legal. They say incorrectly that both of the institutions put a thumb on the scale only for race and that they make decisions about admissions specifically based and only based on a student's race. That's absolutely wrong. But not only is it wrong, but all of the courts who have heard those two cases up to now, because remember, we've got to work through the system before you get to the Supreme Court. They've all said that what SFFA is claiming isn't true. So here we are. Um, I think, and we'll get more into the detail, but I, I just have to be really honest. I think that the outcomes of those two cases could dramatically and negatively change higher education for all students. So those are the those are the big things we're talking about today. When you say change, change in terms of admission, but obviously the matriculation, students who are on campus, 
what is give us the, both ends of the spectrum when you say change negatively what's the worst that could happen out of this or in defense of you know the 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 the, the I guess what are the prosecutors or the the people who are suing the, the plaintiffs what is the best yeah, the plaintiffs there you go thank you what is the best case scenario in their opinion so give us opposite ends of the spectrum sure. on both please sure and let me like let me start by saying I'm not a lawyer I don't play one on TV never went to law school and so all this conversation like let's keep that in mind and I had a really brilliant legal team who worked with except to write our friends of the court brief so let me just put that out there over and over again I'm not a lawyer I'll say that so what are the what what could possibly happen right I've been thinking about this like glass half full glass half empty to be really honest with you what should happen what we hope happens is that the court affirms again, as they have for 40 years, that race conscious admissions practices are within the bounds of legality. That we can do this, we should do this, that there is a state and public good for making sure that higher education is open and available without barriers. That's the best case scenario. And frankly, we got 40 years of wins behind us that say that we should win this one. We also know that this court is not like previous Supreme Courts and they have given us so much evidence of how they are intentionally dismantling 50 years of civil rights um, wins and protections. So thinking about it from that perspective. So for those of us who care about diversity in colleges and, and, and wanna protect race conscious admissions, best case scenario, if the justices um, don't affirm, best case scenario is that their decisions are extremely narrowly tailored to the specifics of how UNC Chapel Hill reads applications and how Harvard reads applications. And that's how the court has ruled in the past. Best case scenario is that this triggers colleges to think about their process in ways where they can say proactively, we're gonna remove those barriers ahead of the court telling us we can or can. That to me is the very best case scenario. Worst case scenario to me is that this court does to Gruder, to Brown, and to Bakke, these landmark cases that have affirmed race-conscious admissions practices for 40 years, that this court says that like Roe, it don't matter, that they throw out 40 years of precedent, that they completely overreach, and that they, as FFA, as SFFA has stated is their ultimate goal, that they remove all consideration, all discussion, any evidence of a person's racial identity or background from the admissions process entirely, including taking away the student's ability to describe themselves and talk about themselves, how they choose. Um, we think that it could be even more far reaching than that, but that to me is the, the worst case scenario is that this court completely upends the interpretation of the 14th Amendment, that they completely upend the interpretation of Brown, that they throw out the rulings from Fisher one, Fisher two and Grutter, and that they that completely take away any, any ability for a university to take, to take a student's identity of any kind into account. Real quick, quick question. I know Tim, I, know, I, I, I see you, you wanted to jump in. Let me just ask this quick question. Aren't some of these schools private schools, right? Like Harvard College is a private school. Washington University of St. Louis is a private school. Emory is a private school. They run without public funds. How can a school 
be asked to enforce something that is they're a private entity. So this is one of the things that's been different about this case compared to all the others. All the other cases regarding race-conscious admissions have been about public institutions. They've been about University of California system, University of Texas, University of Michigan. They've not been about private institutions. For the court to take Harvard as one of these cases, a private institution, that was a pretty dramatic change. And it's something that SFFA has been trying for a really long time. But Stream your point, though, that like they don't take public money. That's the falsity in this. And this is where this whole conversation gets super scary. Any institution that takes public funds falls under the heading, falls under these decisions, right? And so that's pretty much all but maybe 10 institutions of higher education in the United States. When they say public funds, they mean financial aid, Pell Grants, but most important to universities, federal money for research. So any college that receives that kind of funding is going to be under the umbrella of what this decision will be. The addition of Harvard in this and the court's willingness to take on the enrollment practices of a private institution, that was a really scary possible tell, I think, in what this court intends to do. So, Obviously, we're unsure what the court is going to do. We all have our uh, thoughts, but at a very practical level, uh, obviously, for seniors this year, it's not going to affect them. Or, you know, maybe a parent of a junior or sophomore, what what things should they be thinking about uh, for the potential outcome of this case as they begin to have their child think about college? Yeah, we don't know how this is going to impact. We can't really there's so many people asking for prognostication like what's going to happen how is this going to decide be decided and that i think is really going to drive the what's next questions i think you're absolutely correct for the students who are currently high school seniors or transfer students those who are in the pipeline at this moment the decision by the supreme court really isn't going to impact them however the decision by the court will impact applicants thereafter and this is kind of the frightening thing i think for institutions right now in theory, we won't get the decision until June. In the past, Supreme Court uh, decisions have rolled out kind of uh, almost like movies that the blockbusters kind of wait for the summer, right? And the ones that have a little less public scrutiny, a little, they're released a little earlier. Again, this court, they're not doing that. And we've seen blockbuster decisions come out well, one was leaked, right? But we've seen these decisions come out earlier and earlier. And so the court could rule as early as February, still won't impact the coming applicant class. I am more frightened if the court releases its decisions later in June, because colleges, I hope, are working on through all the different possible scenarios right now and planning ahead. But it will be really hard to plan without knowing really what this ruling is going to be. So it's hard to say how you prepare. I think you prepare by just keep doing you, right? And by listening to great folks like you guys and listening to counselors and paying attention. I do think one of the things that I hope students and families and applicants of all backgrounds do right now is that they learn as much as they can about this and apply public pressure, right? Like they get out there and they say, no, race conscious admissions is good for everyone. Diversity is good for everyone, right? This is an important thing. So I think to me, one of the best things that families can do to prepare right now is to learn as much as possible about the current situation and, and speak up as much as they possibly can in support of race conscious admissions. 
So thank you for, for giving us the such a great, clear, rich snapshot of all that's going on. We know that you were down in Washington, D.C. on Halloween and, and protesting and having your voice heard. We thank you for that. Curious to know, were there voices out there on the other end of the spectrum who were saying, you know, make this ruling, make this ruling? Like, oh. how are, what's the engagement between those who are saying diversity is great, race conscious emissions is necessary, and those who are skeptical of it or anti, were they out there as well? And what is the quote unquote argument? I mean, you've told us what their argument is, but how's that energy? You know, and 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 where yeah. where do you think the Supreme Court? Where do you that where how can they be swayed either way by listening to those voices? Yeah, it, the energy was so exciting on Monday, but also on Sunday. So I, I want to emphasize that like this has been you know years in building, but the energy on Sunday and on Monday was so heartening and has given me that little bit of optimism. You guys know that I tend to be a cynical dark person, that I tend to go way past the glass is half empty to there's no more glass, y'all. Seeing the energy of these students, seeing the level of their strategy and their activism gave me hope. Hearing the questions from some of the justices gave me a little bit of hope. But when you ask about the energy Sunday and Monday, it was, there were hundreds of college students and mostly college students, which I thought was super cool, but hundreds, and they had come in from all over the country. Certainly there were students there from Harvard and from Chapel Hill, but there were students from, from literally all over the country and they were so organized. When we arrived at the actions on Sunday, they had a schedule, they had speakers, they had sections for people to make signs and people to you know be interviewed. They were on top of it. Monday morning, it was a little chilly. It looked a little cloudy and foreboding. I got there early at like 7.30 in the morning and there were several hundred students out there already. It was really remarkable. Um, the line of people trying to get into the Supreme Court went around the block. It was huge. And folks started camping out at noon on Sunday to be able to get inside something on Monday. That was amazing and they didn't leave. Um, hundreds of students came in waves. They had organized it so that folks could rotate in and out, right? They had organized size, they had organized messaging. Uh, one thing that I thought was really amazing was that there was generational support. There was one woman who was there from Chapel Hill whose mother and grandfather have been involved in this same fight. She's a third generation to be there and they were there together. Um, my dear friend Oyan Poon was there with her eight-year-old daughter on Halloween in her costume, but she wanted to be there. Those things were really cool. When you ask about the other side, in theory, they were supposed to have an action on Sunday, although walking around, I didn't see it. Um, on Monday itself, there was one gentleman wearing a Trump hat kind of walking around and making snarky comments to people. And one gentleman who was holding a sign that said affirmative actions for European Americans and was holding a Bible. That was it. Mm. That was it. And something else I also want to emphasize, I think this is one of the real misconceptions about this. I think a big misconception about this case is, is partially because of what SFFA has done. And they claim that they are representing white students and Asian students. They are not representing Asian students. There are vast majority of Asian people in this country support race conscious admissions. And you could see that on Monday. 
the majority of the students who were there were Asian. Many of the adults there, Asian, all proudly holding signs, sometimes in their native language, saying we're here in support of, of race conscious admissions, that solidarity is the only thing that frees us, that we work together to support each other. That was really, really cool to see too. So it was that energy and that good vibe and the fact that people stayed in pouring rain and camped out all night, that vibe, that energy gives me hope right now. Thank you. And I, I'm, I'm glad you touched upon the point about, you know, Asian Americans and just kind of diversity of support, you know, behind this, you know, because there's this misconception that, you know, this is only certain populations who are, you know, pushing for this. Uh, but one question, you know, obviously we all can answer this, but I would love to hear your um, perspective on what does diversity mean on a college campus in the higher education, you know, when college, like, what does it mean? Like, how does it, you know, play out? And, you know, why is this so important? Why is this so important? The, the Clarence I'm, Thomas, I'm, I'm, before, before you respond, did you see the Clarence Thomas quotation, Tim? He was like, oh, excuse me, you keep saying this word diversity. What does diversity mean? And again, and Clarence has been taking shots for 30 years now. And I'm like, dude, you got to be, you've heard some of this criticism about you. You can't lead with that. But Marie, I know I'm paraphrasing and, and we definitely want you to answer the question, but oh. what did he say exactly? that was, It was like astonishing that a 60 something, 70 year old something black man was like, what is diversity? And he asked that question to almost every single defendant, almost every single lawyer. And what's even more gross about that and fact check me because I was told this by some of the lawyers outside, but I don't know this to be true 100%. He spoke more and asked more questions on Monday than he has the entirety of the time on the bench otherwise. Clarence Thomas is notorious for not asking a single question, sometimes for entire terms on the Supreme Court. He was chatty on Monday and he asked that question over and over and over to the point where those of us who were all huddled around phones outside listening to the live stream, like it was, first it was eye rolls, then it was loud shouts of like, are you kidding me? He kept asking, what is diversity? Is it just something nice? To me, here's what diversity is on a college campus, that a student can walk into any space and not be the only person who looks like them. That a student can enter any space and know that there are some people in there who understand their story and their lived experience without having to defend it. That diversity is belonging. It's not just opening the door and saying, you know, being tokenized, one of you can come in. But it's seeing that you are meant to be there. And you can see that in how many other folks with similar experiences and identities to you are there. Diversity is not, and I think this is something that was hammered over and over again in the case, um, because it's illegal. It's not a quota. It's not X number. I think the uh, question regarding timeline, when will we know we're done with diversity, when, when we've hit those magic numbers? Because our community, our, our, our nation's population and demographics keep changing, that answer is going to keep changing, right? Questions about diversity have to be flexible and nimble because this country will keep changing over and over and over again. Um, so I'm not going to pull a Sandra Day O'Connor and say, we should be all finished with diversity in 25 years. I'm not gonna pull a Clarence Thomas and say, here's the magic answer. It is like so many things, something that is constantly fluid and changing. But I think 
to me, the, the core is that answer to that is diversity in college is when I can enter, I broadly, students can enter a space and know that I belong and feel that I belong and have others supporting me in that belonging. And I, I, I appreciate that because, uh, you know, um, we're about to start reviewing files, actually uh, should be reviewing files right now. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, but, you know, we've been through, uh, you know, seven days of reader training. And in that reader training, this is a point that continued, you know, to come up. How are we formulating a class? You know, what things are we going to look at? What is holistic admission? It is not just a GPA. It is not just a test score. Somebody chooses to submit it in a test uh, in this test optional world. It's not just their essays. It's what are they going to bring to the campus? What life experiences did they have? And these are all things that obviously we at Emory, but, you know, many college universities throughout the country value that's, you know, very, very important to creating a community, to have that space in which you speak of, to where somebody can walk into classroom and they represent their own individual perspective. They are not the only person like them. And the people have multiple identities. Like we were not just talking race or ethnicity. We're talking about, you know, what, what is, you know, I'm from Iowa, like, you know, I, you know, I'm Christian, I, there, there are any number of things. And I think this is all, you know, very important and something that, you know, in reader training, uh, particularly, you know, my position at Emory kind of leading mm -hmm. uh, these diverse initiatives that, you know, continue to hammer home, like these voices are very, very important. So I appreciate you saying that and all the work that you all are doing at Excel. Well, thank you for putting in that work. I mean, seven days reader training is a lot. And it's, <laughs> well, it's hard work. I'm sorry to interrupt. Race-based admissions is what the Supreme Court hearings are about, period. Race-conscious so, admissions. Race-conscious And that's admissions. a really, it's a fine point, but it's an important one. Because I think race-based assumes that a person's identity will be the final step in getting them in, or that is the key factor. Race-conscious admissions says... I understand this is a part of your life and might have impacted in significant ways or not. So sorry. No, all, all good. But that doesn't, two two parts, that doesn't equal geographic diversity. So the word diversity is still allowed to be used for geography, meaning that schools in Maine can actively recruit students from Arkansas yeah. and, and be like, you know, they bring something different to our campus. Interesting. Well, the thing that's so fascinating about this whole conversation with diversity and what SFFA has chosen to go to, right? There are lots of ways that colleges slice and dice an admissions group, right? There's institutional priorities. Institutional there are institutional priorities. priorities, right? SFFA has never sued to say athletes get an unfair advantage and they're taking my spot. They have never sued to say students who family give a lot of money and our legacies, they're taking my spot. There's so many ways that colleges get to decide to build a class. And the only one that they are mad about, only one they are mad about is the possibility that race might enter the conversation, might. And here's evidence of that. When Abigail Fisher sued University of Texas saying that, oh my God, some black kids got in over her, and their stats weren't as strong as hers. She did not sue the 30 something students who were white and had much weaker stats than hers and got in. She didn't throw a fit about that. She didn't throw a fit about any of the other pieces, just that a handful, handful 
of black and brown students whose stats in one metric or another might have been slightly lower. So yeah, colleges get to define diversity how they want, they get to build classes how they want, but it's extremely telling to me that these folks only care about one single data point, one. And as Harvard to point, put out there, right? As Harvard America. put it out there, like they look at over 40 data points. They chose that one. I think that, that says everything you need to know. You're, you're being more than thorough, more than generous in terms of the information that you're sharing. What are the next steps? So I believe these are opening arguments. Where do the hearings go from here? Obviously, we talked about the sure. decisions coming down possibly in June, maybe earlier. Where is the next time that the, 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 the hearings are going to happen on Capitol Hill or just the, the next part of the process. What happens now? Yeah, so what happens now in terms of the process? So the Supreme Court is different than the other parts of the legislative branch where there's conversation and give and take. Supreme Court's where you go when all the rest has happened and you're saying, no, this is a philosophical, specific legal issue. So what happens with Supreme Court cases? Organizations like mine, um, and I'll, I'll brag about this one, 66 different organizations representing over 3,000 individuals and entities sent what's called a friend of the court brief to the Supreme Court about two months ago. Only 30 on the other side. Our briefs, we have data, we have history, we have current information, we have student voices on our side, theirs doesn't. So we added our voice to the conversation then. In theory, although based on some of Justice Thomas's and Justice Alito's questions, I don't think that happened. In theory, the justices and their clerks read all of those briefs to add to their body of knowledge and to inform their questions and their line of reasoning. What we saw on Monday will be the only hearings about this. So each, each case, because there were two, in theory, they were only supposed to have um, 60 minutes and 90 minutes and the whole thing went five hours, which was crazy. They heard from lawyers representing institutions, representing the students who, and there were no students, people who felt as though they were harmed and the students on the other side. So they heard from all of those people while the justice had asked them questions. So now what happens? They disappear into the buildings. They write their opinions, the supporting and the, and the opposition opinions, and they release those. So in terms of the case itself, we're in this weird waiting period right now where so many of us will be in things like this predicting, but we won't have any input or any insight until the court tells us themselves in the spring or unless, again, this gets leaked like the other, like Dobbs did. But what can people do now? Again, educate yourself, put it out there in the public sphere, be aware and be knowledgeable about the facts of this admissions offices and, and school folks, all of us who work with students should be thinking about the possibilities. But but right now it's this awful wait and see moment where everyone will go over each word, each phrase, each pregnant pause of the questions and the responses and try to suss out what's going to happen. Just a, a point of clarification that, you know, many may not know. Uh, we've mentioned a couple uh, justices' names, but we have not mentioned Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. Can you discuss why maybe we haven't heard from her during this case? Oh, here's the most awesome thing. We heard so much from her Monday. So 
a little bit of background. When these cases were filed, the Supreme Court agreed that they were similar enough cases and brought by the same plaintiff that they could be combined into one. Originally, the Supreme Court was going to hear one single case about race conscious admissions with the with the defendants combined. And then, yay, Justice Ketenji Brown, Brown Jackson, Brown Jackson, I keep getting her last names confused. Um, she was appointed to the court. This is thrilling. Now, what was frightening at first is because she now is a former trustee of Harvard, she had to recuse herself because mm. ethical justices, when they mm. have a stake in it, they step out. When their wives or spouses have a stake in something, they step out when they're ethical. As an ethical justice, she was going to step mm. out of this case and recuse herself. The court then decided to split the cases into two. And because she did not serve in leadership on UNC, she could hear that case. And so they timed it such that the Supreme Court heard the Chapel Hill case first. And then after a 10 minute break, they heard the Harvard case. So Justice Jackson was able to ask questions and she asked some of the very best questions. It was clear that she read everything. It was clear that she knew the real stakes involved. She cut to the chase. And I'm going to say with just a tremendous amount of pride, um, I feel like this the brief that Accept submitted along with our partners, Access and Fair Test, actually impacted her questions. One of her best lines of questioning was, why should a white student who's five generations in North Carolina be able to talk about her family's background in the state, whereas a black student who might have lived five generations in North Carolina but came as enslaved people wouldn't? And that is the central line of question and, and theory that we put into our brief. Now, also acknowledging others brought it up too. But that was a moment where I was like, this mattered. What we did mattered. We impacted the questioning here and she, she heard us. Her questions were so trenchant. They were so smart and sophisticated, but also clear cut. I think she had, frankly, a huge impact, not just on the UNC case, but on the Chapel Hill case or on the Harvard case as well, even though she wasn't there, because you could hear the impact of her questions. Justice Sotomayor was also incredibly thoughtful and just cut right to the chase. And I she think was what she pointed sharp, out, razor sharp. she's so smart. Um, Justice Kagan really demonstrated that, hey, she used to be Dean of Harvard's Law School. She knows how selective admissions works, right? To see the three of those women really have an understanding of how this works, but also the real true impact. You know, they were the ones who pointed out this isn't just about college admissions, that this is about business leaders. This is about military. This is about communities, right? Like college degrees are important for many, many reasons. And it's who follows and what you do afterwards. And I'm so grateful that she was there. I'm so grateful those other two justices were there to ask those hard questions, those thoughtful questions, because it really made up for the other questions that came up. Other also, uh, can like, I just like share like a little piece of uh, like please, this please. Dish. This is your world, honey. Your world. I uh I was not in the room, however, it was shared with me by several that Justice Alito fell asleep at one point during the hearings and had to be nudged awake by Justice Kavanaugh, and that again, this went way over, and there's no lunch break for them. That apparently, um, Justice Thomas did sneak away for his own little private lunch break, whereas others did not. So, that's my little bit of little tidbit of gossip from the inside that again, I did not witness myself, but was shared. Hot takes, hot takes, Break, breaking news on right, hot takes. Right. admission. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, Wendy Williams, watch out. Here's Marie. <laughs> oh. Mm. Mm, mm. <laughs> 
No, the, no, this this has been great. Again, the, the way you've been able to summarize and give us the, the synopsis of what's been happening is so important. And and again, it, with our book, you know, we've been asked a lot about uh, th this pending case. And admittedly, you know, Tim being on the admission side is much more informed about it than I am. I mean, his they have staff meetings about it and things of that nature. But I will play the you know the application side and particularly the independent consultant, I don't have some the cohort of colleagues to talk about on day to day. So I don't feel as informed. So I appreciate both of you for kind of keeping me in my 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 nose to to this stuff because it is something that's going to impact me professionally as I continue to work with more families of color. It's going to work, you know, affect me possibly as a parent. Um, I've got two daughters who are 10 years old and they got to go to college someday. And I'm still a black person in America. And, and yep. I, I, guess what? I'm a human being who cares that other human beings get opportunities. So um, the, the, this is great information and we cannot thank you enough. Tim, I'm, I, I feel like I want to wrap up to be, you know, uh, considerate of time, but I want to make sure, do you have any more questions from Marie? Because again, she is such, such an icon trailblazer. What do we, you know, the, the other things we want to make sure that we, uh, well, since we have her here, let's keep it going. Any, anything uh, else? Yeah, we have time. Understand? Let's keep asking. Hey, hey, keep hey listen, you know, I mean, obviously this is an important case and Marie, thank you yeah. for being, you know, so razor sharp in sharing the details about it and, you know, informing our audience who, you know, may not be as knowledgeable about it and also informing us. But, you know, I'm going to go all the way left. Uh, you know, Sharif, she's a sneakerhead. You know, whenever I see nah. Marie, I, I, <laughs> you guys I, I gotta, in your I shoes, gotta, you guys yeah, in your shoes. I got to make sure the sneakers are, are, are tight. So, I mean, you might have some flip flops on, but, you know, like, what, what are we working with, Marie? So today I am, I am in Birkenstocks. It's okay. it's hot here. The but Aaron Jesuses. Yes. 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 <laughs> Yes, there you I'm go. I'm going to keep that one. No, I just have to share, though, on, on Monday, because it was Halloween, I did wear my Nike SB Mummy Dunks from last year, the glow in the dark with the peel away that are by far my favorite sneakers. Um, I have no idea what that means. Very, sure. very good to be Hey, hey I mean, I mean our, our stock just went up, you know what I'm saying? There's nobody <laughs> in our audience be like, you know, you know, yeah, that's the type of people they got on here? absolutely yeah, i gotta be honest when the college students when they were like "Ooh, how did you get those like i felt really good i felt <laughs> i was like I, i'm maybe perhaps a little bit cool just your, a little bit. Your, your, your daughters know shereen you, 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 <laughs> who, 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 which one of your daughters is a sneakerhead Sai. Sai is a huge sneakerhead oh. up to the point where she went to a sneaker sneaker con and was overwhelmed to the point of like, you know, you know, just kind of hyperventilating. There was just so much energy oh, yeah. in there. So it's a, it, it's oh, a lot. Yeah. But um, Marie, Tim, I'll, I'll let you guys connect on that sneaker stuff <laughs> offline. I'm glad the three of us who were involved in application and admissions and accept and, you know, doing the right thing for, for so many students across the, the country and the world potentially um, had an opportunity to, to chop it up over such an important Supreme Court hearing. Um, Marie, you, you and Shereen, I talk Shereen, all the time. Shereen, we, we, we do have to formally thank her while she's here for helping us get to the name of our podcast. Because you remember the first one, she's like, no, you better yeah. not. You better not call it. We can't even say it. I don't even want to say it because just to, to have it ringing in her ear. So yes, again, we owe you for introducing <laughs> us, for the name of our podcast, for scissoring up our book, Maria. Again, icon, trailblazer, you know, advocate. You are who you are, and we appreciate well, you on so many levels. I gotta tell you, like the two of you play that role in my life so many times too. Of, and I think that's such. A, it's just important. It's important as not just in this 
professional space we occupy, but just as adults that you have people in your life who you trust, who you know that feedback, anything, like it comes from a place of love and it comes from a place of care, not from a place of trying to tear someone down. And the two of you have been that for me. And I am, I am so grateful for these relationships, like really incredibly grateful. Marie, when I tell you, Marie, when I tell you uh, he got the revisions back. He called me up. He said, "We need to start all over." Marie thinks the book. Is <laughs> you, know, we, you know, we we messed up. We can't say. That. I, I, let's let's step back a moment. <laughs> me, dramatic, never. Marie, I, I, when we envision this podcast, lastly, I'll close out with when we envision this podcast. We said we wanted to be like a show that I watched every single day in your apartment for a full calendar year because yes we did so marie just tell the world what we have modeled our application to admission podcast after that show is drum roll please pardon the interruption pardon the interruption for higher education that's right that is all i do that's all i do that's all i do marie you are the best you know it when i see you i'm gonna hug you and squeeze you you and and we appreciate you on so many levels and um you will uh, again get 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 all your flowers when we promote this Thank podcast you. because it's great information, it's necessary information, and uh, we're so honored that you gave us your time. I am honored Before you that go, you Marie, Marie, tell us where they can find more information about Accept if they want yeah, to get some yeah, money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey. It's making win for hey. everybody out here. It's making win. We are nonprofit and your, your donation is tax deductible. You can find Accept at acceptgroup.org. You can find us on, on all of the socials as accept or accept group. You can always reach out to me at leaders at acceptgroup.org. And usually if it's a professional space, you can find me with Shereen as we are. There it is. There. Just... at the hip, glued at the hip, glued at the Absolutely. hip. Absolutely. Those I... are all those breakfasts in Houston that were on my bill. All yeah. 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 There it is. There it is. We ate good you know, on your dime, baby. We did, but it's yeah. um those moments were important again. Like this really we've known each other. My gosh, I love saying this because it's so ancient. Yeah, we've known each other since the previous millennia. Yeah, that's right. When my child right? was in utero. When your child was in utero, first, when my, my hair was, was not this gray. Look at the beard, look at the beard, look at the beard. Right. And it's Again, like these relationships, um, it's what keeps me around in this work. And I am I am incredibly grateful for the work that you all are doing and helping black families apply to college. Cause following your lead, honey. Following your lead. Fo- following your lead. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Tim. Um, t- Tim, give us a quick shout out to close it out and uh, we'll let everybody go. If you don't have the book, The Black Family's Guide to College Admission, a conversation about education, parenting, race, you're late. You need to get it. If you have it, share 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 it with a friend. If you have kids in college, gift it. The holiday right, season right, is upon right. us. Please Absolutely. share. We just want to get information out there. We appreciate you being here for Marie. Being here, Marie. We appreciate everybody who is tuning in, listening to application to admission. Shereen, thank you for the idea. Yeah, I, I, I do what you. I do. All right, all right. All right. Until the next we're, time, we're, we out. We're going, guys. Bye, bye. Bye.